Hey, welcome, everybody. Good to see you. Welcome to River Glen. Thanks for making us part of your uh, Saturday. How's everybody doing? You guys glad to be here? Good. Good, uh, good. Great to see you. We've got Easter coming up in just three weeks, and we're really, really excited about it. We've got a good Friday service at noon in the Family Life Center. And then we've got three identical Easter services in this room, Saturday at 5, Sunday at 9, and, and 1030. But we have got some extra stuff planned. Yeah, uh, believe it or not, look at this. We've got a helicopter uh, egg drop after the service on Saturday. And uh, before each service, we have breakfast. Yeah, for, for uh, everybody. They're calling it a bunny uh, breakfast. We're not eating bunnies, all right? It's going to be uh, hot and cold cereal. But it is going to be just a great celebration weekend. And uh, you don't want to miss it. We've got the invitation pieces. It'd be a great weekend to invite somebody to come with you. You can get these at the door on your way out. Take three, uh, take five. We'd love for you to bring a guest to the service. And if possible, uh, a volunteer at another service. I think there's one of these inserts in your program. You can just fill that out and drop that off at the uh, Welcome Center after the service. We're just really excited about Easter coming up. And uh, we're so excited that we are doing this series to get us ready and to prepare us for Easter by looking at, in this passage series, looking at the last words that Jesus spoke while he hung dying on that uh, cross. You know, in the moments before a person dies, those words take on special significance. We've even got a phrase for it. We call them famous last words. In fact, let's see if you can name some of the historical people and some of their quotes, some of their, some of their actual uh, last words, like this one right here. I die hard, but I'm not afraid to go. It's not Bruce Willis. Anybody want to guess? George Washington, yeah, father of our nation, passed away in 1799. This one's an artist. I shall hear in heaven. Anybody want to guess? Beethoven, yeah, partially deaf. Look forward to being healed and hearing in heaven. And then this one's interesting. I should never have switched from scotch to martinis. That is Pastor Andy. Yeah. No, Humphrey Bogart, famous leading man in Hollywood. And then this one's amazing. This one's really amazing. I've offended God because my work did not reach the quality it should have. This is an artist. Yeah, this is uh, Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah, talk about being hard on yourself. And then this one's more recent. Uh, they don't, uh, uh, this is just from a few years ago. Oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. Anybody? Steve Jobs, founder of Apple Technologies. His biographer said that he, on his deathbed, he, he began to think more about God and the uh, afterlife. And then this last one, they don't know who said this. Uh, honey, those jeans look a little tight. Some unknown uh, husband. Uh, those were his last words. Um, <laughs> we have this fascination with last words because last words, they kind of represent a summing up of a person's life. And, you know, people really have nothing to lose. And those last words are unfiltered, and they really speak from their heart. Well, the, the greatest person who ever lived spoke seven last words, seven last statements before he died on the cross. And many people treasure and hold these dear because they, they give us a glimpse into what Jesus suffered to accomplish salvation. And they also give us a glimpse into his heart and what really mattered most. Today, I want to look at the first of the final seven sayings that Jesus spoke from the cross. It's it's the words that he spoke to his enemies recorded in Luke chapter 23. And uh, let's go ahead. Let's say this together. Ready? Let's say it together. Ready? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus spoke those words to the, to the soldiers, to the crowds, to the religious leaders who literally 
nailed him to the cross and crucified him. And I believe these amazing words, they don't just tell us about the heart of God. They challenge our hearts, my heart, uh, your heart, as followers of Jesus, especially when we get hurt or we get uh, wounded. Now, to help us understand these words, I I want you to understand the uh, circumstances. Picture the circumstances. And if you want to follow along, go ahead and open your Bible to Luke chapter 23 or turn on your phone, go to Luke chapter 23. Luke is a, a medical doctor and he gives very accurate information. He gives a meticulous account about the process leading up to the uh, crucifixion and the death of Jesus. Jesus had ministered with tremendous mercy and compassion and healing. Jesus touched lepers. He helped the blind to see, the lame to walk. Jesus would hang out with people that others avoided. People described Jesus as a friend of sinners and irreligious people, sexually broken people, morally corrupt people, they loved Jesus because he talked about a message of radical forgiveness. People everywhere loved Jesus, but the religious establishment viewed him as a threat because of his growing popularity. More and more, of the, of the, more, more, and more of the crowds grew as people followed Jesus. And Because Jesus claimed to be more than a rabbi. A rabbi was a good teacher. And Jesus claimed to be more than a good teacher, more than a good man. He claimed to be the divine, the unique son of God. 100% human and 100% divine. And so the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, accused him of blasphemy. Because he claimed to be equal with God. And in the ancient culture, they could punish blasphemy by putting someone to death. And so they arrested Jesus, and they hauled him before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor in Jerusalem. And even though Pilate believed in the innocence of Jesus, he felt tremendous political pressure to condemn Jesus to death and have him executed. Let's pick it up here in verse 20 of Luke chapter 23. It says, wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. And in other words, Pilate believes in the innocence of Jesus and he's going to have him whipped and released and everybody's going to be satisfied. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. His name was Barabbas, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. And so Pilate, this politician, caves into the pressure, and they go with a mob mentality. And they take the sinless son of God, they take his shirt off, they tie him to a pillar, where they brutally whip him with a multi-tailed whip that has bones and glass and pieces of metal on the, on the uh, end. They whip and, and flog him, and, and it just tears the flesh on his shoulders and his, and, his, and his back, opening wounds on his body. Scripture tells us that the Roman soldiers who carried out this sentence, they made sport of Jesus, and they punched him, and they spit on him. They blindfolded him and they said, prophesy, who hit you? They ridiculed him. And then after that beating and whipping, they put a mock robe on him and they pressed a crown of thorns into his, into his head. Scripture says they, they beat him so badly that 
He looked unrecognizable. And finally, they put a wooden cross on his back to carry. Now, if this is too graphic for you to watch, you can just close your eyes. But I want you to, I want you to see and understand how the Romans invented crucifixion as the most brutal way to put a person to death, to deter rebellious behavior. They took two planks of wood and they forced criminals to carry uh, their own cross, probably weighed about 150 pounds, to the execution site. And so they paraded Jesus before these crowds that once cheered him. And now they spit on him. They said, if you're the son of God, save yourself. And then they stripped off the clothes and stretched the arms out of the criminals and nailed their hands to the, to the crossbeam and put their feet over each other and nailed them to the cross. And then they would raise up that cross and death came slowly as the criminals would bake in the sun. Crucifixion would typically take 24 hours until the victim would hemorrhage and slowly suffocate. And I know that's hard to watch, but that's what Jesus went through to forgive our sins. Verse 32 says, two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there. And then the next verse, it says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. You know, when you understand the circumstances, Luke 23, 34, that has to be some of the most amazing words recorded in the, in the Bible because it seemed like the Roman soldiers knew exactly what they were doing. But in a moment of agony, through just a, 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 an unimaginable fog of pain, Jesus summoned the strength and he looked down to the raging Romans and the jealous Jews and the heckling crowd. And he looked down the corridor of time to you and I, because scripture says that we have broken God's commands. And so every one of us, every single one of us played a part in nailing Jesus to the cross. He received the punishment that you and I deserve. And so we, we are guilty by accomplice. And looking down at, the en at his enemies as they murdered him, Jesus used his last breath to say, Father, forgive them. That's amazing, isn't it? And you know what? That is really the heart of the message about Jesus. Understand, if you haven't been to church for a while, or if you think all religions are the same, they're not the same. Forgiveness is the great distinctive of the Christian faith. No other religion in the world has at its core a God who forgives his enemies. God loves his enemies, and that's why he sent Jesus to die as a living sacrifice for the sins of humanity. So all religions are not the same. Christianity stands apart from all other religions because the Christian God is a God of radical forgiveness. And so to follow Jesus means that we become people of radical forgiveness as well. For example, Jesus said to his followers, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Easier said than done, right? You know, I wonder, have you ever had somebody hurt you? Have you ever had somebody wound you? Maybe somebody that you trusted. Maybe a family member who failed you or a friend betrayed you. Maybe there was conflict. Maybe there was a falling out. Maybe a breakup. Maybe a divorce. You ever had somebody in, in your life that really hurt you deeply? I think if we're honest, we all have, right? We can all instantly picture somebody in our head that 
we feel like they deserve hate, but what they really need is forgiveness. I want you to hold that picture in your head before we apply this teaching, because no matter what they've done to you or to your family, my guess is that it pales in comparison to what happened to a friend of ours at River Glen by the name of Tony Watson. Take a look. Uh, my name is Tony. Uh, me and my wife and kids have been coming to River Glen for roughly five years. And I'd just like to tell you about my daughter, Selena. Uh, when she was small, uh, me and the wife worked opposite shifts and I got to watch her during the day and we'd go for long walks and um, we played a lot, we cooked a lot. She used to put my work boots on. As she got older, I saw the growth in her and, and the, the challenge for her to dance. She loved to dance. When she got into high school, she got involved with various dance groups. She became her own person in her own way. I have so many fond memories of her, but at 18, her life was cut short. On December 4th of 1998, I arrived home from work, went to bed, and roughly two hours later, my 12-year-old daughter woke me with the pound on the door. Um, I went down there and there was a police officer that was there to notify me that my daughter, Selena, was involved in an accident. Uh, he said I needed to get to Waukesha Memorial as quickly as possible. I ran upstairs, woke the wife, and told her we had to move fast. When we arrived, there was a lot of ambulances and squad cars. As we walked in, there was a police officer that we knew that directed us to a doctor and nurse. And we were taken to a adjoining room and we were told that Selena was involved in an accident and, and that she didn't make it. Kathy made all the arrangements while they took me to see Selena. Uh, Selena had a tube in her mouth where they tried to, EMT tried to give her air. Um, I basically started screaming and pounding my fist against the wall because I couldn't believe this was happening. Um, I lifted her head and screamed for her to wake up. Upon us leaving, there was a gentleman sitting across the hall in handcuffs. I paid no attention other than to see him. The ride home that night, Kathy was very quiet. When we got home, it was then I heard the full story that a drunk driver had killed Selena. And Kathy shared with me she didn't want to say anything for the fact that I would have went after him and I would have been in handcuffs. Uh, Kathy and I and uh, Selena's sister had to go pick out her clothes and coffin. Um, she was laid to rest. I got to stand by her for the last time. Uh, shortly after the wake, uh, I got to see the gentleman at court face to face. Through the trial and after the trial, I struggled with a lot of different resentments and hatred. And I saw the path that was going and I started reading the Bible. 
and understanding the, the word. And I met some people that were involved in small groups and got involved in, I prayed a lot. And I prayed that God would forgive me so I could forgive others. And three years after the incident itself, I got to meet with him. He was a young man, 28 years old, sentenced to seven years in prison, where he served two-thirds of his sentence. And I saw the person that he was, the hurt that he felt along with us inside. And, and I understood about the Lord giving us all forgiveness and, and how I needed to get over any hurts and resentment and forgive him as the Lord did to the, the people that put him on, a, on the cross. And it, it made my life a lot easier. I also asked him if he would speak with me at the Victim Impact or some of the education places for alcohol and drug use. And he said yes, without a doubt. I believe the, the, the Lord has put this upon us to help us, to help us understand life and how we need to forgive. How I found forgiveness is praying, reading parts of the Bible, understanding what truly Jesus did for us to forgive us of all our sins. And forgiveness is something you have to search in your heart for and understand it will make your life a lot better. Isn't that an amazing story? Yeah, that's just, let's give them a hand. Let's give Tony a hand. I really appreciate him sharing. Thanks, Tony. Kathy, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for sharing that with us. Now, I pray that you'll never experience the pain and the trauma that Tony and, and his family have experienced. But I know in this room, this room is full of people who carry wounds, who carry hurts, some, some big, some small, different shapes, different, different, different sizes. On your way in, I think you were handed a, a nail. Do you go ahead and, and take that nail out? And if you take a look at it, it's, it's not your typical nail. It looks a little bit different. It looks a little bit more like a spike, a little iron spike. It's probably similar to the iron spike that they used on the cross with, with, with Jesus. And I want you to hold this nail in your hand as I talk, and I want you to feel it. I want you to feel its strength, and I want you to feel its, its point. And as you hold that nail... I want you to think about somebody who has hurt you, somebody who has caused you grief or pain. Maybe it's a coworker. I don't know. Maybe it's someone who stole from you, someone that you're having a hard time forgiving. And, and be honest, maybe you wish that you could pay them back for what they did. I've got three nails up here in, in my hand because I've heard it said that they pierced Jesus on the cross in three places. They put a nail in his hand, hands. They put a nail in his feet. And they took a spear and they drove it in his side. It's interesting to me how some wounds go deeper than others. And those can be even more difficult to forgive. I find that people who struggle to forgive, typically they struggle with three kinds of wounds. And I'm going to call the first kind a surface scratch, okay? These are everyday bumps and, and bruises that are just part of life, part of living in a fallen world. 
The people that we live with and love cause these kinds of hurt feelings because they said something insensitive or did something thoughtless. They're, they're minor uh, injuries. Uh, they're, they're small. You know, I'll give you an example of, of uh, a time I felt like I scratched somebody recently a couple weeks ago. My daughter has a, has a boyfriend named John, and he comes over to our house periodically, and he's got this, he's got this dog named Kira. He, he loves this dog, and I, I, I love her. She's a lot, of, a, a lot of fun. I love to play with her. And uh, so I'm playing with her in our living room by myself. It's just her and I. We've got a long uh, living room. And I did something thoughtless with Kira without thinking about the end result. And so what I did is I had her jump the, uh, I, I taught her to jump the coffee table, and it was really cool. So cool, I decided to go get the bench out of the kitchen and see if she'd do like a double jump. Jump the coffee table and then jump the uh, bench. Yeah, you know where this is going. And uh, so Kira is all excited. She's only like a year old. And she tried to jump both at once. And she landed on top of the bench. Her back leg got caught. And she howled. And she, I've never seen a dog get hurt. She limped and she started crying. And everybody in the house comes running into the living room, and this fun moment turned tense. And we thought she broke her leg, and I felt terrible. I felt responsible, like I, you know, scratched uh, John. I apologized to John, and he was gracious. Fortunately, Kira limped for maybe a minute, and uh, she turned out fine. However, the next time she came over to our house, she stood in the middle of the living room. She looked me in the eye, and she peed on the carpet. <laughs> yeah, I think she's mad at me. Hopefully she'll forgive me. But I think you get the idea of a surface scratch, right? And we all have them. A friend does something thoughtless. A friend says something hurtful. A friend leaves you out. A loved one says something insensitive. And it stings, but it's easily corrected with an apology. But the second kind of wound, I'm going to call a puncture wound. And it goes deeper. It goes beneath the skin into the muscle. It's a parent who was never there when you needed them the most. Or a family member who said something abusive while they were drinking. Or something hurtful, you'll never amount to anything. Or maybe a friend you confided in because you thought, I can trust them, and they went and talked about you and gossiped behind your back. Or you worked hard on a new idea that you developed at work, but a coworker took the credit that you deserve. That puncture goes deeper than a scratch. And it'll heal over time, but a puncture always leaves a mark. You can probably think of somebody that punctured you many years ago, and you're like, I did forgive them, but oh, that was hurtful. So there's surface scratches, puncture wounds, and then there's a pierced heart. This is a life event that goes straight to your soul and causes tremendous pain. It's a divorce that you never wanted a betrayal that you didn't expect, an assault from a stranger, abuse from somebody that you trusted. For Jesus, you know, there just wasn't, there, there wasn't just physical pain on the cross. Think about the relational pain that he experienced, the betrayal of Judas. He poured his life into these guys for three years. One of them betrayed him. And then after that, the denial of Peter. When push came to shove, Peter said, I don't know him. I've never seen him before. I don't know him. Denial, betrayal, and then Jesus feels abandoned by God. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We're going to talk about those last words next weekend. 
But that's relational pain on the deepest level, and it goes straight to the heart. You know, for me, one of the deepest wounds I ever experienced happened many years ago. I put my trust in someone. I put my trust in them, and they, and they broke it. And it hurt, and I carried this wound, and I did not wish them well. I struggled with bitterness. Looking back, you know, in some ways, I allowed that wound in my life to get infected. And those of you who have ever, been, have ever had your heart wounded or pierced by somebody that you loved or, or trusted, you probably know what I'm, what I'm talking about. But if you're a follower of Jesus, look at what the scripture says about how we respond. Look at this. It says, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. In other words, you know, look at the cross. Look at the nails. Remember the nails. Think about the nails. God says, how did Jesus forgive you? That's how I want you to forgive them. See, on the cross, Jesus experienced all three kinds of wounds, didn't he? The surface scratch, the ridicule, the mocking. And he experienced puncture wounds as his friends turned away from him, one after the other. And then a pierced heart, not just physically from driving a spear into his side, but relationally from the, from the denial and the abandonment and the betrayal. Jesus experienced all three kinds of nails. But when he died, he died with a heart filled with love and forgiveness and peace. How did Jesus do that? How can we do that? Practically speaking, as you hold this nail in your hand and you think about somebody that has hurt you, you want to know, how do I forgive this person the way Jesus has forgiven me? Practically, how do I do that? Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take that statement that Jesus made from the cross and I'm going to break it down into three parts because it can teach us three principles to make us great forgivers like Jesus. Here's the first principle. Number one, rely on God for strength. I want you to notice something about this statement. It's easy to miss. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, to my knowledge, this is the only place in Scripture where Jesus asked the Father to forgive. Other times when Jesus forgave, he did it himself because Jesus had the authority to forgive sins. For example, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus told a man who was paralyzed, your sins are forgiven. In Luke chapter 7, he told a woman, your sins are forgiven. Jesus had the authority to forgive sins, but from the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them. Why the change? Why the shift? Maybe it's because the cross was so awful that Jesus knew that he needed the Father's strength to help him be able to extend forgiveness. Maybe the cross was so awful it made Jesus more aware of his humanity and he knew he needed the Father's, Father's power to help him extend forgiveness. And just like Jesus, we need to rely on God to give us the strength to forgive. You know, very often in, in churches we focus on the physical pain that Jesus experienced on the cross, and, and we should. That's very important. But it's interesting, out of the seven statements Jesus made from the cross, only one of them had to do with physical discomfort. And that's when he said, I thirst, because he wanted a glass of water. Jesus didn't focus on the physical pain, did he? Instead, he focused on his relationship with the Father. You know, if I'd have been on the cross, I would have focused on other things. I would have focused on the physical pain, I would have focused on the unfair trial and how those religious leaders manipulated a guilty verdict. 
I would have focused on my anger toward my friends who scattered and denied knowing me. But, but Jesus didn't focus on those things. Focusing on, on those things would have filled his heart with, 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 with anger, with, with, with bitterness. Instead, he concentrated on his relationship with God, and he prayed, Father, forgive them. And so what some of us, what some of us here need to do is we need to take that first step and begin a relationship with God. And what you'll find is that it's much easier to forgive others when you have experienced God's forgiveness in your life. And you'll find that the closer you walk with God, the more forgiveness will just flow out of you naturally, uh, the, the more the Holy Spirit will work in your life. That's what happened with Tony. After that accident that killed Selena, Tony felt lost and angry and distant from God until he began a personal relationship with God that changed his heart, began to change his heart and enabled him to begin the process of forgiving the driver. And so if you're having trouble forgiving, turn to God. Say, God, would you help me deal with the anger and hostility? God, would you help me to forgive this person? And pray, not just for yourself, pray for the other person who hurt you. Ask God, to bless their family, pray for their spiritual life. And it's amazing how God transforms us when we rely on him through prayer. That's why Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. But Jesus didn't just talk about forgiveness on the cross. He demonstrated it. Here's the second principle of becoming a great forgiver like Jesus. Practice kindness toward the person who has wronged you. Now, I know that sounds crazy, but that's what Jesus did. He didn't just release negative feelings on the cross. He extended love and kindness and forgiveness by dying on the cross. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, if somebody hurts you and pierces your heart, that you immediately restore trust in that person who hurts you. I'll give you an example. If a young woman is engaged to be married and she discovers that her fiance is cheating on her, I would counsel her to forgive him, but I wouldn't counsel her to go ahead with a wedding next month because there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. I mean, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them and, and died on the cross for their sins, that doesn't mean that everybody in the crowd that day immediately reconciled with, 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 with God because there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. And even if forgiveness is a one-way street and the other person doesn't ask for it or receive it, it's still the right thing to do because it'll free your heart from bitterness and hatred. In our minds, I think we tend to have this vision that the person who wronged us, that they're going to have a change of heart and they're going to come back to us and they're going to get on their knees and they're going to ask us to forgive them. And on rare occasions, that might happen. Years later, the person who wounded me contacted me and asked forgiveness, and, and we reconciled, but it rarely happens that way. And if you only forgive people who come to you and ask for it, you know what? You're going to carry a lot of baggage in life. You're going to carry a lot of bitterness and anger in your life. That's why Jesus models for us to forgive and extend kindness to the people who wrong us, even if it's a one-way street. You know, I admire uh, the way that Tony not only released his bitterness and, and anger toward the driver, Tony developed a relationship, a friendship with this young man. They talk once a month. They meet at McDonald's. Tony and the, 
And the driver, they give talks, public talks together to teach about forgiveness and the dangers of drunk driving. They spoke here at Celebrate Recovery and gave a powerful talk. But Tony says that getting to know the driver and realizing he's a human being has helped him to forgive. Extending kindness helps us release bitterness and anger. I'll give you another example of a friend of mine by the name of uh, Gene Apple. Gene, Gene got married right out of college. And uh, he led a church in Las Vegas to exponential growth. But then uh, one day his wife told him uh, that she was in love and involved with another man. And not just another man, this was a friend of Gene's. Gene made all kinds of temp- attempts at, at reconciliation, but it never happened. Gene says, what kind of friend moves in on another friend's wife? I wanted to take a baseball bat and plant it right in his teeth, right in his face. That's one of the kinder things I wanted to do. And then one morning in his quiet time, Gene read this verse. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. And Gene sensed God saying, you need to overcome this hatred by taking some positive action towards your enemy. And so Gene took out a legal pad, a yellow legal pad, and he wrote a letter. He said, because of what God has done to forgive me in my life, I forgive you. I let this go. And along with the letter, Gene sent a gift, a book that had been meaningful in his life, and he wrote, I pray it would be meaningful to you. Gene said he prayed for him nearly every day for the next couple of years, one of the hardest things he's ever done. And Gene says, did it change him? I don't know, but here's what I do know. It changed me. And today, Gene Apple leads one of the most dynamic churches in the, in the country. Maybe some of us here, maybe we need to write a letter or send an email. Or maybe you practice kindness by praying for this person. Ask God to bless him or her with good health. Or maybe you give them a gift. Maybe you show kindness to their children. It may not change the other person but it will change you and bring you peace and freedom and healing. And then one more principle, realize that other people have blind spots. I want you to notice what Jesus attaches to this prayer. He says, Father, forgive them. Notice this. He says, for they do not know what they're doing. Now, you can make a case that they knew exactly what they were doing. Judas knew what he was doing when he accepted the bribe. Peter knew what he was doing when he denied knowing Jesus. The soldiers knew what they were doing when they nailed him to the cross. But let me ask you something. Do you think these people really knew what they were doing? Jesus didn't think so. They didn't understand on the deepest level what they were doing. They didn't understand the enormity of the cross and and Jesus. They had a blind spot. And Jesus used that blind spot, not as an excuse. What they did was wrong, and they were responsible. But he used their ignorance as a reason to cut them some slack and extend forgiveness. In our conversation, Tony brought this up. Tony says, what the driver did was wrong. Driving under the influence is wrong, and the driver is responsible. But Tony also said, the young man didn't mean to hit her car. It was an accident. And that realization has helped Tony forgive. 
So I want you to think back to a time when somebody hurt you. Picture that person that you want to pay, pay back. Picture that person that you think owes you something. Maybe the person who gossiped about you, or maybe the parent or step-parent or sibling who did something to you that you just can't forget. And ask yourself, did they really know what they were doing? Did they really understand on the deepest level what was happening? Did they, did they really know the enormity of the pain that they were causing you? No. That doesn't excuse or minimize what happened, but it might make it a little easier for you to cut them some slack and extend forgiveness like Jesus did when you realize they have a blind spot. You know, we all have blind spots and hurt people in ways that we don't even realize. And forgiveness means that we agree to live with the consequences of another person's sin. That sounds difficult. That sounds hard, doesn't it? And forgiveness is difficult, but, but remember, Jesus agreed to live with the consequences of, of my sin and your sin. He personally accepted the consequences of our sin in his body. He himself bore our sins. So keep this nail as a reminder of what Jesus has done to forgive you. And keep it as a reminder that now he expects you to become a great forgiver. So ask yourself, I got a question for you. Ask yourself this question. What's my next step in becoming a great forgiver like Jesus? Maybe your next step is to begin or renew your relationship with God so that you have the power, so you have God's strength to forgive. Maybe you need to pray and ask God to help you forgive another person. Maybe taking a step of kindness, a step of compassion toward the person who wronged you would help change your heart. Maybe you need to realize that this other person has a blind spot. We're going we're gonna to share communion after I pray in just a moment to give us the opportunity to really think about our next step toward becoming a great forgiver like Jesus. Let's remember as these trays come by that the bread represents his body and the uh, juice represents his blood and the nail represents his wounds. Would you, would you make the decision today during communion to forgive others as Jesus has forgiven you. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy and your grace extended to each one of us, to every person here, even though we do not deserve it. And God, would you, would you help us? Would you give us strength and courage and love to do for others what you have done for us, to extend love and goodwill and pardon and forgiveness to people who don't deserve it either. God, as we share communion, would you help us to remember through the bread and the juice and the nails what Jesus did for us so that we in turn extend it to others. And it's in his name I pray, amen.